I remember once, years ago, when Andy and I were first married, back, back, in 1985, we went to see a production of Les Miserables. I don't know if anyone else has seen that. We were up in the gods at the very top, and I was completely swept up in the reality of the story, the costumes, and the music. I absolutely loved it. The emotion completely took over. And as I sat at the end, sobbing, full-on, messy sobbing, the woman behind me tapped me on the shoulder and she said, what on earth is the matter with you? What is the matter with you? I had completely entered into the 19th century world of Paris with the poverty and the struggles and the politics. And Christmas at its best is a bit like that, isn't it? Over the past few weeks, I feel like the stage has been set with carol services and nativities. And emotions run high. We have a three-year-old grandson, and my daughter-in-law said last weekend he couldn't go to sleep until two o'clock in the morning. He was so excited. And that was with a whole week to go, completely immersed in it. And even my own personal Grinch admitted that he wanted to go into Kingston to see the Christmassy lights. <laughs> so, let's just take a minute. You might want to close your eyes and read ourselves into the nativity story, the part that we had this morning. <clears throat> it's a story that teaches us deep, deep truths about ourselves about the world that we live in, and about God. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about, it begins. This is the story from Joseph's viewpoint. Mary had been engaged to Joseph. Picture for a moment the family celebration, the solemn binding exchanging of the betrothal promises, the planning for the forthcoming marriage the place in the community mapped out for this young couple. Mary was found to be pregnant. Imagine the shock, the whispers as she passed, the fury, the shame, the deep sadness of Joseph. Joseph planned to dismiss her quietly, but an angel appeared to him in a dream and confirmed the child was actually conceived by the Holy Spirit, was to be named Jesus, and would save his people from their sins. And can you picture the scene as Joseph wakes up, disbelief, trying to shake off that terrible nightmare? And then slowly, as he comes to realizing, no, this was not an ordinary dream. This was a message God was speaking to him. And I wonder what he felt then. Confusion? Fear? Courage? Hope? What did it mean for him that this child was conceived of the Holy Spirit? What on earth did that mean? What would it have meant to Joseph? And that's what I'd just like to dig into a little bit. What would it have meant to, to Joseph 
that his son was conceived of the Holy Spirit. So what do we know about Joseph? We know that Joseph was a Jew. He had descended directly from Abraham. The chapter before this one, we've got a fantastic genealogy showing how Joseph could trace his heritage right back to Abraham. And the passage, which is only short, takes a whole half a sentence to tell us that Joseph was a righteous man. So he was a godly and a law-abiding and God-loving man. And Matthew's gospel was written primarily for people like Joseph. It was written for a Jewish audience. Matthew was passionate about his fellow Jews and wanted them to see how Jesus fitted into what they were expecting. For Joseph and for his listeners, this word, the Spirit of God would have had a whole history of meaning that sometimes I think we can miss out on. The Hebrew word is ruach, and it has a sense of divine force, of breath or wind, of life force. And Joseph would have had in mind all of these senses as he considered his situation. So what were the specifics that he knew about this divine life force? Well, he knew that the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, was the person who brought truth to God's people. It was the Holy Spirit that enabled them to understand what God was like and what he intended for his people. He might have thought about the prophets that he'd heard down through the ages. Isaiah, Elijah, Jonah, Daniel, Jeremiah, many, many more, who spent their lives calling out to people to follow God, to put aside their lifestyles that were taking them nowhere, that were destructive, that were causing great hurt and damage. Calling people to know God's promises and to trust in God's promises and to follow God. The prophet's teachings were one of the ways that this life-giving force of the Holy Spirit taught people about God. And this same spirit taught people how to live in relationship with God. If you think it was the spirit of God that led Moses up the mountainside and received the Ten Commandments, that was the work of the Holy Spirit. And those Ten Commandments still form the basis of many our country's laws today. So Joseph would have known this about the Holy Spirit as he had his dream. The spirit brings the truth about God. And for Joseph, the Spirit of God would also have been closely associated with creation and recreation. Do you remember the very first um, sentence even in in Genesis? Well, second one actually, Genesis 1-2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty and darkness was over the deep. But the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. 
and then creation began. So the Spirit was there at the very beginning of creation, instrumental in the formation of the world, bringing life. And Joseph might have recalled the teaching of the prophet Ezekiel. <clears throat> you remember that passage? The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in a valley full of dry bones. Lying in a valley, very dry. And remember, Ezekiel asked God how these dry bones could possibly live, but God had told him to prophesy over the bones and that God would breathe breath into the bones and bring them to life. And he did. The bones were his people who had given up hope, lost hope and lost their way. And God said to them, I will put my spirit in you and you shall live. Or perhaps Joseph would have thought about the prophet Job in all his suffering, still declaring the spirit of God has made me. The breath of the almighty gives me life. So the Spirit is about life-giving creation and recreation and healing. It's about a bringing back to life. <coughs> All of this, Joseph would have known in that little phrase, the Spirit of God. <coughs> but he could never have known what we know. He could never have known the next steps of his son's life. But we have that knowledge of what comes afterwards, and we can see how those pieces fit together. How Jesus continues that work of truth-telling. How to live lives following God. How to turn away from our self-centeredness. How to live following him and how he will save us from our sins. William Barclay described Jesus' birth like this. In Jesus there came into the world God's life-giving and creative power to bring order to our disordered lives. Jesus brings the truth of God alive, not a distant, unknowable God, but one who can be seen and listened to and understood, full of love and compassion and justice and goodness. And it was a life set against a backdrop of the world's dishonesty and cruelty and greed and violence and apathy. And it was a life given up to usher in forgiveness and restoration and hope for the whole world. So Jesus continues this work, this work of truth. He continues this work of creation, of recreation. Remember, Jesus told Nicodemus that he had to be born again to enter the kingdom of God, recreated afresh. In Corinthians, we hear, therefore, anyone is in Christ is a new creation the old is gone and the new is here. If anyone puts their trust in Christ, they are a new creation. And in 1 Peter, we read, Blessed be God, he has caused us to be born again into a living hope 
through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I don't think there's a much better example of a new beginning than the resurrection. I mean, I remember when I was a child at Christmas, I did love, I do love Christmas. I remember in my mind actually saying to baby Jesus, don't come, don't do it. I know how it ends and it does not end well for you. As a child, I could grasp about the birth of Jesus and I had grasped about Good Friday. But in my little comfortable life, I had no concept of the resurrection. Now, in later life, with losses and failures and regrets under my belt and a wider perspective of the world, resurrection is a lot more meaningful. Oh, if we put our trust in Jesus, knowing that we cannot save ourselves and we cannot save the world from sin, but acknowledging that Jesus can, the Spirit forms in us a new identity, one that is open to the truth about God, one that is open to recreation by the Spirit, and one that is open to a new hope. Now, this is our prayer for this Christmas, lives touched by God's truth, touched by recreation and hope. So as in the words of Elton John, we step into Christmas, let's celebrate this divine force, this life-giving spirit that brought Jesus into our world. And let's celebrate Jesus, truth-telling, life-saving, hope-bringing, future-promising saviour.